to the First Time Podcast. I'm your host, Tad Good. If this is your first time listening to First Time Podcast, let me explain. Me or the guest are experiencing something for the first time. We talk about it, and it's really that simple. Today, once again, we're talking about a movie, but this one is not what you're probably expecting. Um, I have had a lot of guests on to talk about horror movies or comedies or action movies. This is my first musical. I'm really excited about it. And tonight's guest is my friend, Terry Turford. How you doing, Terry? Good, good. Excited to be here. Yes, I'm so excited to have you. We've been talking about this since I first started this podcast about um, what we would talk about because I've wanted you on as a guest and we went back and forth. And I, when you recommended our topic for tonight, I was, I was stoked just because um, I talk about horror movies and watch horror movies all the damn time and when I find something outside of that for this podcast, you know, that's super exciting and something that you're passionate about and you enjoy. Oh man, I'm stoked. (laughs) Me too. So tonight we're talking about singing in the rain. The jazz singer, that's what's the matter, the jazz singer. Oh, my darling little mammy, now little mammy, my little baby. No, no, this is no joke, Cosmo, it's a sensation. The public is screaming for more. More what? Talking pictures, talking pictures. Oh, it's just a freak. Yeah, what a freak. We should have such a freak at this studio. I told you talking pictures were a menace, but no one would listen to me. Don, we're going to put our best feet forward. We're going to make the dueling cavalier into a talking picture. Beautiful girl, you're a lovely picture. You were meant for me. All I do is dream of you the whole night through. You're all my lucky Good 
everybody dance. Broadway rhythm, it's got me everybody dance. So Singing in the Rain, a musical, um, I just want to want to know what your history, I mean, obviously you picked this because you love it. It's one of your favorites, but why, why is it one of your favorites? Um, what's your history with this movie? Well, this one goes a long way back with me. Um, my, I would go to my grandma's a lot for, she would babysit us while my mom was working and we would watch a lot of, you know, like Disney movies and old live action Disney movies and things like that. Uh, but she always had a bunch of musicals on VHS. And this was one of the ones that I frequently watched there. And I fell in love with it right away. It was like my favorite back then. And I've only grown to love it more as I've gotten older and understand everything in it. Because there's no way I understood everything that was going on back then. But um it's just, I've always been in love with it. It's just such a great film. Yeah. Like I said, this is my first time watching this and I've sort of tried to uh, get rid of that stigma where people are afraid to admit they haven't seen things. I, I, t- <laughs> I sort of celebrate that in the show because uh, for the longest time, especially in like circles with movie buffs, you know, where people are on podcasts and we talk about movies and love movies. Um, it's sort of like, people will say, man, have you ever seen that? And people go, Oh, it's, it's been a long time or I've only seen parts of it or it, you know, it's been a while since I've seen it or, you know, that they beat, they beat around the right. bush and it's like, it's okay. If you haven't seen something, um, admit it and check it out. Like I, I just, I I'm, it's so freeing now. Like I've been creating this watch list on, um, letterboxed of classic movies I haven't seen. And, sometimes it's a little hard to admit to people still that, you know, I haven't seen this or I haven't seen that. And this is like, I mean, there's a lot of classics I haven't seen and there's really no excuse for it. And this is one of them. I mean, this is considered the best musical of all time, hands down, Um, considered one of the top probably five films of all time. Uh, The more I read into it today, the more, I realized how historically important it is and how much there is to the backstory. And I mean, it's, it came out in 1952. So obviously there it's been covered, um, you know, from here to there, it's just, there's so much information about it and it's fascinating to me. Like people assume because I'm the horror guy that I don't like musicals or happy movies. And (laughs) I was so happy that you suggested this just because, uh, man, I just needed a break. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Oh hell yes. Like a musical. Uh, and it's not, it's not like, I, I had no idea. Like going into this, I literally outside of the main theme song singing in the rain and the poster images of them, you know, holding the umbrellas, I knew literally nothing of the story, not one second of it. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I, I went in this completely blind, I will say I really loved it. Good. I'm so, I'm so glad <laughs> when you said you hadn't seen it. I'm like, Oh, well that's, that's it. We have to do that movie. Cause 
it's hands down my favorite movie of all time. So, <laughs> yeah. And so, I, like I said, uh, we, we bounced around. We talked about doing Seinfeld because that you just finished watching that. Um, yes. Yep. And I'm not sure how that would have worked uh, just because <laughs> it's nine seasons of a show. Uh, right. And I don't know. I this this I was just so stoked when you recommended this just because um, anytime I can. It's almost like I, I need the motivation to check off some of these classics on my list. And having that excuse to finally watch this is so great. And it's it's weird for me because these classic movies, for some reason, um, they feel even though this has nothing to do with like Christmas or the holidays, these classic movies have that sort of feeling. Maybe it's because they used to play them on TV around this time of the year. And people, when yeah. they'd get together with their family, they'd watch these, you know, uh, around the holidays or something. But it just has that like positive feeling to me. Yeah, just kind of those classic. They're not necessarily a family movie, but they just appeal to everybody. Right. I, I, feel, I feel like this this is one of those movies that someone of any age can enjoy. Um, so that, yeah, I think they do get played a lot during holiday season. So I could see why you would, why do you come to that conclusion? Outside of like Turner Classic Movies, I don't re- recall ever, you know, even really seeing this on cable, which is surprising because they play like Wizard of Oz every Thanksgiving on TNT and stuff like why isn't this on TV more often this movie's awesome like I don't I don't get it it's definitely I mean even if you're like oh this is a musical and I really don't like musicals it's still super accessible because it's yeah it's a musical but it's also a, a movie for movie lovers with all the history and it's just it it's awesome Right. And that's what I think when I started watching it and it opens up with that scene of at the premiere and I'm like, oh, this is a I, like I said, I went into this absolutely blind. So when it starts at a movie premiere, I'm like, oh, shit, is this a, a musical about Hollywood? Like I'm already sold. I'm so yeah. in. Uh, and it's just like I, I had no clue. And I was just and people listening are like, you idiot. Like this is everybody knows that it's a classic movie with Gene Kelly, like everybody has seen this and I literally like I'm sure we've played it sometime at the Capitol. I don't know how I didn't see it there. Um but I've somehow missed it all these years. I haven't been trying to avoid it, but um that poster's iconic. Everybody knows the poster and obviously the 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 main song and that opening bit where they're twirling the umbrellas, everybody knows that. But yeah. outside of that, like I said, I had no idea and um I guess, do you want to sort of explain the main um, outline or story of the movie? Uh, sure. Um, well, it's uh, set in the 20s, 1920s. Um, the silent film era is still, you know, the main, the main thing. They don't have talkies yet. Um, so this kind of follows a, a small group of people kind of as they while they're in the midst of their Hollywood careers, you know, they're huge stars and suddenly everything comes to a screeching halt because talkies are the new thing and they have to basically shift from being a silent film star into this new role. And it's just kind of following really inspired a lot by like actual history from, um, especially like Arthur Freed, um, the guy who did all the music in the movie. Um, it's just following that and 
yeah <laughs> yeah <rambling> actually, <laughs> no no uh yeah I, I think that's really like that time in history is just absolutely fascinating to see how some of these people just couldn't translate because their voice didn't match up with what people perceived and it was like once these talkies came about their careers were over yeah and that sort of it, it touches on that and you know uh gene kelly i think from what i understood uh was someone who actually did sort of survive that moving from you know uh silence to talkies but uh, this is was released April 11th, 1952, um, directed by Stanley Dunn and Gene Kelly, written by Betty Domden and Adolph Green. Uh, won Best Pictures that, that year, I believe, which it doesn't surprise me. Um, Actually, I don't think it won any Oscars. Didn't win? I don't think so. For some reason, I... Think I- it- it, it won some uh, some secondary awards, but I don't think it actually... Maybe it did, but I, if I remember right, they didn't win any Oscars. Okay. Which is surprising. But. Yeah, you would, you would think it, it did uh, because it's such a cultural, cultural piece of history now. Um, everybody knows that song. I mean, it was even parodied. Like, my first look at it was in Clockwork Orange when he's singing that as he's beating up a woman. Well, and uh, actually singing in the rain did not originate for this movie. Right. Uh, Go ahead. Oh, I was just um, because Arthur Freed, um, I think he's the producer, did, you know, the music. Um, The majority of the music in this movie, they're actually old songs of his from the the 20s and 30s. that he basically threw at the screenwriters and was like, Hey, make a movie out of this and fit all of these songs into the plot somehow. Um, so yeah, singing in the rain was around, um, even, you know, kind of with some of the earliest talkies that MGM was doing. Um, and so, yeah, kind of transitioned into, to this film and kind of became the, the title song. Yeah. Cause I'm, uh, when I was doing my, uh, half-assed research today, I saw that, you know, one of the first things I said was that the script was written around the songs. And so the writers had to generate a plot into which the songs would fit. So they started with the songs. Okay, we have to make a movie out of this. And usually (laughs) when they do something like that, the movie turns out terrible. Like, I, I mean, at the time, that wasn't that unheard of. But like later when there's so many like movies you can think about where they had a monster like you know oh let's we have i mean like i never thought i would mention tammy and the t-rex in a podcast (laughs) about singing in the rain but they made a whole movie around having a t-rex they had the t-rex and like let's make the movie around it and that turned out awful where this you know they had these songs they made the movie around it and it turned out awesome Um, right well and like the some of the beginning material like the stuff with uh don lockwood and cosmo brown kind of coming up as just like the the musicians for these movies and then eventually going into uh, being some of the biggest music stars you know that kind of follows arthur freed and his partner um i can't remember his last name's brown it wasn't cosmo i don't think but um so it kind of loosely follows what their path would have been at that time um and then kind of leads into this big massive plot that i don't even know how those screenwriters were able to do that so well but uh yeah yeah it's 
it reminded me of that newer Walt Disney movie, uh, I think with um, Tom Hanks, where they, they they show how a lot of the old Disney songs in the movies are written because, you know, they would sit around the piano and do it. Um, I thought, oh. yeah, Donald. Saving Mr. Banks. Exactly. Yeah. And it reminded me of that. Obviously, that's a modern movie, but um, just the whole relationship with the musicians and how it was interesting, the relationship between uh, Cosmo and Don, because, you know, Don was this famous heartthrob and the women would scream and go after him and Cosmo could stand on the side. But he was, you know, he, he was brought up with him. They they made their career together and he was just as talented, but he just didn't he wasn't in front of the camera. Um and I just found that relationship between those two really endearing. Like you, it felt like the chemistry was really there. Of course, um, reading about it today, I realized that was not so much the case. It seems like uh, Gene <laughs> Kelly was sort of an asshole on set. Yeah, I, I've heard that he was definitely kind of a hard ass and a perfectionist. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the stuff I was reading today is unbelievable about this movie. But I'm not mad about it. <laughs> I don't think the, I don't think any of the people in in the movie in retrospect are mad about it. Not that they're I mean, there's probably hardly any of them left. But, you know, I think that while they they suffered through it, they also, you know, it, they knew that it was worth it when they saw the end result. Like they were grateful for how hard they were pushed and. Yeah, I mean, uh, when it came, you know, obviously it came out, became a huge success and, you know, is, like I said, one considered one of the best movies of all time. So that helps heal a little bit on the wounds. And yeah, <laughs> um, from what I read, you know, Debbie, Debbie Reynolds, who plays Kathy Selden, she had a really hard time uh, just in general filming this movie. She said that uh, I think um, childbirth and this movie were the two hardest things she ever did in life. <laughs> Well, yeah, because she she wasn't really a trained dancer going into this movie. So she basically went through massive dancing boot camp with Gene Kelly. I can't even imagine how grueling that would be because he is he's just insane. Like I'm still every time I watch this movie or in any of his movies, I just you know, I'm just in awe of how like easy it just seems for him. It's just insane. So I can't even imagine how working under him and, and learning how to do all of this stuff, like within a few weeks or a few months, like that's insane. Yeah. So she did a really, really good job. <laughs> the uh, pure physicality of this movie, the numbers that they do is unreal. Like I had, yeah. like I said, I had no idea going into it and every musical number is just uh, like amazing, like awe inspiring, just holy shit, I can't believe that they did this in 1952. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just... Uh, it's just boggles my mind. I mean, and um, Donald O'Connor is a great dancer, too. I mean, they kind of each have their own kind of style, but just it... I, I just can't even fathom how they do that. <laughs> it's yeah. just amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they just don't do this kind of stuff anymore. Um, you know, we we all sort of marvel at like Tom Cruise doing his own stunts and all that. And I'm like, man, he's got nothing on this. This is yeah. <laughs> absolutely crazy for what they had uh, to work with. I mean, they had 
you know, it wasn't like they had uh, as many cameras. They were filming on film, so they couldn't, it's not digital, so they couldn't just go back and redo it. They didn't have the pads and, you know, all the stunt actors and all the safety measures they do now either. And yeah, uh, just to me, I was just blown away. I couldn't, you know, it was one of those few instances where I had no problem not um, picking up my phone and checking it during a movie. I admit I'm pretty bad at that. And um, watching this, it flew by. I was just really impressed with this movie. I'm, I can't believe I waited this long. It's pretty embarrassing, but, uh, I'm so, like I said, I'm so glad that you got me to watch this one. It, it opens with them at a movie premiere and that's where we sort of learn about, uh, Don Cosmo and, uh, is it, uh, Lena? Yes. Lena, Lena Lamont. Yeah. Lena Lamont and Don, they're sort of the stars of this new movie and they are, lead the public to believe that they're in this um, very close romance uh, because it's helping the movies and their career. And it's clear that Don doesn't feel the same way Um, off camera. They have to sort of put up this front, which I didn't realize was like a thing back then. I mean, obviously it is now. Right. Yeah. But it's sort (laughs) of cool. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, exactly. It's sort of crazy. Like, I didn't realize this sort of trend went that far back where people really cared about, you know, celebrities and their personal life. I mean, it makes sense, but it was just sort of cool to see it in old Hollywood. And like you said, this was set in the twenties. So that even goes back further than the fifties. I mean, it's crazy mm-hmm. to even think in the fifties that it was happening, but uh, in the twenties, it's even more wild, but they go to this movie premiere and it sort of does like a, it tells a story about how um, Don and Cosmo get together and how they start at the bottom and and work their way through Hollywood and make their way to the top. Uh, Really cool stories. I mean, I love that scene where they're filming a Western and he volunteers to step in and do like the flip over the bar and knock over the glasses. And Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, those two together, it's crazy to think like, I'm glad I didn't do any research or know anything ahead of time watching this because I would never have thought that there was so much animosity behind the camera. Like it's not that they hated each other, but like you said, Gene Kelly was such a perfectionist that when I was reading about it, it was like he he would, he admitted that he would take out his anger on uh, Donald instead of Debbie because Mm -hmm. he felt like Donald could, take it so like he would get really mad at debbie for messing something up or slowing them down and he would just take all of his anger out on donald because he knew he could take it and donald sort of knew what was going on and he just like put up with it and today it's like you could never get away with that anytime an actor is an asshole like they get you know they they get (laughs) just called out for it and their cell phones everywhere and they get booted off the movie and recast five times right it get canceled (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Gene Kelly would have been canceled like right away. But yeah, uh, it sounds like it's not necessarily that he was just a jerk. Like you said, he was just sort of a perfectionist. Well, yeah, because I mean, he's starring and he's starring and directing in the movie. So, I mean, I think his director side was the not so pleasant side for sure. Um, but, you know, what ifs? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was he was obviously super talented and you know, very had all the dance moves and sort of a step above everyone. And so I can understand where the frustration would come from. But uh, 
we get so many of these really crazy musical numbers. The one that him and Cosmo do, I forget the name of it, but they're on a stage and they're doing like backflips and stuff off each other. And they're playing each other's fiddles or like violence. Fit as a fiddle. Yeah. That was wild too. Like vaudeville act. Yeah. Like how many times did they have to do that? Jeez. Yeah. It's insane. How can I, I mean, I can't dance, let alone dance and fiddle. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and fiddle someone else's fiddle like right there's a point where they're they're like pr- twisted up like pretzels playing each other's and uh, yeah. i'm just like what what in the world is going on here like th- they can't do this in post-production this isn't cgi or something like they legit had to do this and get yeah. it down and do it in front of a camera and it's just it seems it seems so timeless but you know like if there was a, a live show of that and you know that half the people nowadays would be like, ah, this is boring. I'm like, that is amazing. That is not boring. What is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are some older classic movies that people really love that are a little slow for me. This is not one. Like, there's always something oh, no. going on here. As soon yeah. as, if things slow down at all, you know there's going to be some crazy musical number coming right up. Yeah. And, and learning about how they had to shoot some of these is, is really interesting too, but uh, the story, they basically, there's a point where um, Gene Kelly is Don. He's getting mobbed by fans. So he jumps into this car and that's where we meet Debbie Reynolds, who's playing Kathy Selden. Um, she's sort of that. I mean, looking back, it was probably not a um, a trope at the time. Now it's it's sort of, but she's like the everyday girl who's not impressed with the fact that he's a movie star. Um, she's not smitten by him like every other girl is. And I think he, he sort of likes that. Like he likes yeah. that. She doesn't, she doesn't uh, swarm over him. She doesn't fall for his uh, bullshit. And he jumps in her car and she's just sort of like, you look familiar. Who are you? I don't know. You know, and it just sort of plays it smooth. Um, and, and so he's got this infatuation with her. Um, fast forward to a party where she's performing and, you know, he sees her, um, some shit goes bad. She throws a cake into Lena's face when she's trying to throw it at Dawn, which is funny. It has a little bit of that slapstick in it Mm -hmm. from that era. Um, and she hits her good with that cake. It's like, I mean, she didn't do it delicately. It was like a full on right in the face. (laughs) And it made me laugh. Like has a lot of, really funny stuff in it too um oh yeah it's hilarious i love it yeah uh i'm not gonna go like beat for beat through the story but basically in this story eventually you know don falls for kathy and lena obviously doesn't like that so she hates kathy because you know uh she's got a thing for don and thinks that everybody should they're like the perfect hollywood couple even though lena sort of seems like sort of comes off as the bitch in this story i would say well yeah <laughs> uh I, I wouldn't say that's um an exaggeration she is sort of and sh- she has this screechy voice and <laughs> that's where we sort of advance the story because they're moving from like you said these these silent movies to talkies and suddenly she's very pretty but her voice is not so pretty so <laughs> they have to figure out a way to make her still be a star on screen. And that's where they come up with this plan to use Kathy's voice to overdub 
Lena and um, Don and Cosmo come up with this plan to save their movie. That's sort of looking like it's going to be a disaster. They say, let's make it a musical. Let's use Kathy's voice. Um, we're going to re-record all of Lena's lines and her, her songs, and it's going to be a hit. And I, I'm, I'm really sort of um, skipping across a lot of stuff, but then, you know, spoiler alert towards the end they finally premiered the movie it's a big hit everybody loves it and then they are like you know lena get on stage and sing that's not her voice uh so they have kathy who is very upset about it get behind the curtain and sing and of course don opens the curtains exposes exposes lena for the fake that she is and it sort of has a happy ending where um everybody falls for kathy and finds out that she actually is the one with the golden voice and she's actually the one with a good heart and she's a good person and uh very Hollywood ending, but I needed that for this movie. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And of course you just love Kathy through this movie, even when she's uh, throwing cakes at people and she's sort of standoffish and stuff. Uh, she is so charming. And I think she was 19 when they filmed this. Debbie Reynolds was 19. Yep. 19, man. I think she'd only had a couple of other films under her belt and I think they'd seen her. I can't remember the name of the other film she was in, but she had a song in another movie and they just fell in love with her from that one scene that she was in and gave her a shot. Um, and I'm glad they did because she's perfect. Yeah. Just very wholesome, but quirky and I don't know. Yeah. It's sort of funny, like looking back at it and, you know, it, it sort of, another trope but it's like you know she's supposed to be like lena's supposed to be the beautiful starlet and you know the gorgeous one that everybody loves but i like i totally fell for it i totally fell for kathy i'm like i'm rooting for her already right away mm -hmm. you know you you stand behind the underdog and she's the underdog in this movie um and don really don and cosmo really stand up for her and you know have her back and and get her into some really great positions to advance forward and you feel feel really bad for her at the movie premiere where she feels like she's been uh sort of fucked by everybody like everybody's giving lena the credit even though it was her voice and uh and you know it could she's basically handing her career over to lena and letting her have all the credit for the work she did and yeah. just a great moment when they pull the curtain back literally and expose her uh <laughs> It's just like, yes, you know, Lena gets it. But um, like I said, so many great musical moments. And uh, I've I have so much of the history here that I found just on IMDb uh, that I just found fascinating. And I, I tried to skip through some of it, but every time I found something else, I'm like, this is fascinating, too. And you, <laughs> you probably know most of this or all of it. And um, if any of this is wrong, uh, please feel free to you know call it call it out because i don't know how true some of this stuff on imdb is but um like i said the script was written after the song so they wrote around it but the original negative of this film was destroyed in a fire at some point mm -hmm. yeah um and i had heard that the first time they did the um make them laugh number uh they screwed up like they didn't set up the cameras right and they got they they said they filmed the whole thing got it all done then they looked back on the the actual you know dailies and it was like oh we didn't have it on in focus or something so we had a, they had to go back uh gene kelly and donald connor and redo all of it from scratch which i can't even imagine because that was 
like a one shot deal like <laughs> that poor man <laughs> oh yeah um it said for make him laugh gene kelly asked donald connor to revive a trick he had done as a young dancer running up a wall and completing a somersault uh the number was so physically taxing that o'connor who smoked four packs of cigarettes a day at the time ended up in a, a hospital bed for a week after its completion he he suffered from exhaustion and painful carpet burns. Um, unfortunately, an accident ruined all the initial footage. So after a brief rest, O'Connor, even ever the professional, agreed to do the difficult number all over again. So it put him in a hospital. And then as soon as he got out of the hospital, they're like, uh, we screwed up. You have to start all over again. We didn't get it. <laughs> yeah. But it's one of like it's one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie, even oh, though. Yeah. And the song, this was actually a song that was made for the movie because they wanted to give Donald O'Connor a solo. And so they actually wrote Make Him, well, he wrote Make Him Laugh, Arthur Freed did, for this movie, even though it is totally a ripoff of uh, Cole Porter's Be a Clown. <laughs> but uh, it's fine. It's fine because that scene is amazing and I love it. Uh, knowing the history makes it a little sad to watch knowing how much i mean i mean it's still amazing even if he suffered through it but um <laughs> like thank you for suffering for our entertainment that was awesome <laughs> yeah and i i had read that it was you know sort of a knockoff of the other song but i'm not familiar with that song so i did not um and if i heard it i might be yeah know, it's probably very similar melody yeah but there, I think I read that there was. I, I don't have this note in front of you. I thought I think I read that there's only is there two songs that were written for this movie. I think, and this is one um, of them. Uh, uh, Moses supposes I think was also written for this movie. Okay, the the dictation song. Okay, but there may be others too. But I, at least those two, I know for sure. Yeah, and we were talking about earlier, um, only 19 when cast to play the film, Debbie Reynolds lived with her parents and commuted to the set. She had to wake up at 4 a.m. and ride three different buses to the studio. Uh, sometimes to avoid the commute, she would sleep on the set. So she was very dedicated, too. Everybody really gave their all to make this movie what it is. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, and she had to, well, she had to get there super early, I'm sure, for you know hair and makeup yes as well oh, more yeah. so than some of the the guys not that they didn't have that as well but but yeah she she was in you know almost every scene so yeah i imagine you know she was on set almost every day yeah uh, one of her first i think one of her first main um days on set they were actually filming good morning which is like one of the most grueling dance scenes for her. And so she, I'm sure that had to be insane. Like the, your first, your first time on set and you're doing this insane dance number with Gene Kelly and Donald O'Connor. <laughs> you don't know how to dance. <laughs> yeah. They said after they finished the good morning number, Debbie Reynolds had to be carried to her dressing room because she had burst some blood vessels in her feet yeah. Um, despite her hard work on good morning number gene kelly ultimately decided to dub the sound of her feet as well as his own as was the practice at the time so yeah. he went back and redid all the sounds of the feet because he was a perfectionist yeah which doesn't is just surprise insane. me yeah i mean i know they did that but just to think about the work that would go into that <sighs> um yeah. 
and interesting, like the, the good morning number, um, that's kind of the, when they have the, uh, the dueling cavalier, which is like their first shot at the talkie that fails miserably in the theater at the premiere. Um, and they're all kind of like, Oh, we're doomed. We're all, you know, we're never going to have careers again. Like there was actually supposed to be a completely different scene at that point. Like, Singing in the Rain was actually supposed to be done as a trio with those three. Like that was supposed to be them kind of getting over it and moving on and coming up with new ideas. But then they changed it to Good Morning and then Gene Kelly as a solo on Singing in the Rain. I mean, I can't even imagine how the film would be if they had that as a trio and not him in that iconic scene. Like that's just crazy. Yeah, I think I had read that it was supposed to be like them leaving the theater, walking together, and it would be raining out, and they do that mm-hmm. number right. Yep, yep. That would have been. I mean, I some of that stuff. Like, I wish it would have just been shot, just so we could see it. But you know, it's good that we did not get it. I mean, especially these old classic movies. Um, it's not the same now, where we have all these deleted scenes and director's cuts and stuff like these movies are so iconic. You don't want any changes to be made. Like I don't, right. you know, but I still would like to see some of the stuff. I'm sure there's stuff that was edited or cut out of the movie. I have seen, um, I've seen one print of a Debbie Reynolds has a solo or was supposed to have a solo. Um, uh, what was the song? I can't even remember. It was a, a play on one of, it's just a play on one of the other songs already in the movie. Um, but it got cut. And I think Gene Kelly also was supposed to have another solo that was cut just for pacing. But yeah. there is still like a print of uh, Debbie Reynolds solo. It was on I've, it's on the special features of the DVD set I have that I've so I've seen that. But That's and cool. it was good. It's good. And it's that song. Her version is on the soundtrack. Um, but, you know, I can see why they would have cut it for pacing. But it's still cool to see those outtakes yeah i'll have to look it up on i'm sure it's on youtube somewhere oh i'm Uh, sure yeah but it's weird to think about that kind of stuff because when they say like you know stuff was hit the cutting room floor like back then it literally did it was you know cut (laughs) with like a knife and cut off of the film and put on the floor uh yeah it's pretty cool that that stuff I'm, i'm glad that stuff still exists you know with the negative being burned up and stuff i'm glad that there's still this history captured and yeah, you know, it's there forever. Like we have it, it's safe. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, it's Donald O'Connor and Debbie Reynolds admitted that they did not enjoy working with Gene Kelly since Kelly was verbally belittling in a tyrant. O'Connor said that for the first several weeks, he was terrified of making a mistake and being yelled at by Kelly, which we've touched on a few times, but, um, just the fact that he was terrified too. He was just, you know, Donald was, was scared of him as tells you how big of a perfectionist he was. Yeah. Which, you know, I honestly, when I was a younger girl, I was 100% in love. Well, I was in love with both of them, Gene Kelly and Donald O'Connor from this movie. Um, But you know, you just kind of put them up on a pedestal. So it's a little sad hearing things like that, but then you just watch the performance and that kind of melts away because none of that matters when you're watching. Just, it's just insane. 
Yeah, it said uh, Gene Kelly was a taskmaster task master with Debbie Reynolds, who had never danced to this degree before rehearsal started. So um, Fred Astaire, who was in an adjacent dance studio, found Debbie Reynolds crying under piano under a piano and reassured her that all of her hard work was worth the effort. So that's a pretty good consolation prize to have Fred Astaire give you a pep talk. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, that that kind of stuff doesn't happen now. Like that's that's something that a scene that would appear in a movie. I mean, I'm surprised they did after reading this history. Is there is there any kind of movie that sort of retells the making of this movie out there? Um, I don't think so. There's um, there's a short making of featurette on the stuff I have on the DVD. I don't know if they've released anything else, uh, but it was only like half an hour, so it's not really a full on film but. like i would think like not even documentary but just a you know there's so many movies coming out now that are retellings of history like hitchcock right. and like, like this this reading about this i want a like modern <laughs> take on the making of this as a as an own movie it'd be like a movie in a movie in a movie yeah <laughs> super like super inception like yeah. super 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 meta but it would be so cool like it would be what was that? It wasn't American Horror Story, but it was Ryan Murphy did the one. Uh, now I'm drawing a blank, but um, he did a he did a series that was two old um, actresses in Hollywood that had a feud. I think it was called Feud, actually. Hmm. Um, and it was about like the making of old Hollywood movies and these stars that, you know, started big and as women, especially back then. But it still happens now as actresses get they age so much quicker in hollywood it's it's wild like once you know you hit a certain age you're cast as the mom rather than the love interest and that kind of stuff right uh, and it obviously happened even more so back then um but it would just be you know like i said this this stuff that i'm finding on this oh man i would just die like that could be even like a new netflix series like i watched hollywood on netflix and that was fantastic and this just the making of this could be its own story. It's just so fascinating. It is. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite little tidbits is uh, Jean Hagen, who is Lena Lamont. Um, I mean, clearly she's, that is not her actual voice <laughs> um, through most of the movie. Um, but there's a scene where Kathy Selden is singing a song and dubbing over some lines um, for Lena in one of the movies and the deeper voice that they use is actually not Debbie Reynolds. It's actually Gene Hagen's real voice <laughs> doing the <laughs> dubbing. And then this, the singing was um, like Betty noise noise. I can't remember how you say that. Um, the would you song. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of just an interesting. So like she's dubbing over herself, but so, <laughs> yeah that's really deep like gene gene hagen was uh dubbing debbie reynolds dubbing gene hagen yes yeah interesting <laughs> yeah that's that's wild oh man <laughs> but i I'm, i mean i know that as much of a hard ass as gene kelly is like i can't even imagine like just the amounts of movie magic going on like just to be like on the sidelines, like witnessing this being made would be incredible. 
Right. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I want a I want like a Netflix miniseries. I don't think a movie could even cover this. I think, you know, like a six part series would be awesome on the, this. The, a fly on a wall watching this, you know, being made would be Absolutely. fascinating. I don't know who you would uh, cast in these roles to play the, you know, um, what's Debbie Reynolds granddaughter's name? Lord. Uh, she's in Billy Lord. Yeah. Maybe she could play, you know, her grandma. That would be cool. Maybe. And not that, that I, I don't know. I, I would have to see the makeup, but you know, that seems like something Ryan Murphy would do. Now I've got this idea stuck in my head. I want to get, <laughs> I, I want this to get made. I want to see this on screen. <laughs> yeah. I think, the only survi- current surviving cast member is uh, Rita Moreno, who she's, oh, what's that show she's in now? Uh, it's like a Latino Netflix sitcom. Okay. Uh, One Day at a Time, is that? That sounds familiar. Sound familiar. Okay. She's in that, but she was also, I mean, she won an Oscar for West Side Story. Okay. Uh, uh, so she's kind of she's very young in this i think she was like a teenager in this too but i was gonna I say she's, she'd have to be but she's like the only surviving like of the like named cast she's like one like the only one left i think yeah i imagine uh if it was made in 52 yeah it's amazing that she's still around she had to be yeah. pretty young when they filmed it yeah Uh, The first time they tried to film the singing in the rain sequence that they shot it in the late afternoon. Um, Unfortunately, the homeowners in the area had just come home from work and had turned on their lawn sprinklers. So there was not (laughs) enough water pressure for the rain to work. Uh, They finally filmed the sequence the next day early enough so that everyone was at work and the water pressure was adequate for the shot. Uh, So (laughs) I guess there was even like a water shortage at the time where they were filming this. So it was mm-hmm. a sort of controversial thing that they were even doing, you know, the, the fake rain. Um, but it's just crazy. Like all the Hollywood magic and they had to worry about people coming home and turning on their sprinklers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the one thing holding them up is it. That's crazy. Yeah. But so worth it. I mean, that scene is like when, I mean, even if you haven't seen this movie, you at least know that image of Gene Kelly up on the lamppost yep. with the umbrella. Like you just know that everybody knows that. And that scene is just, it's not even my favorite song in the movie by any means, but just the magic of him dancing and it just makes you feel good. Yeah, probably the most iconic, probably the most iconic musical number in, I would say, in cinema history, maybe. I mean, everybody yeah. knows that everybody can, whether you've seen this movie or not, you know that song, you know that number. Uh, and it, I was sort of surprised, like right when you turn on the movie at the very beginning, it has them all three doing the like umbrella twirls and singing a song. It opens with that. And um not really what we get in modern movies now you know we get like a long drawn out opening credit sequence and they wouldn't do like a the main title right away but it's it's just sort of that charm of that time of uh mm-hmm. filmmaking for sure it was like they had to set it up like you're here for singing in the rain we're going to give it to you literally right the first second the opening scene here it is and now we're going to start the movie <laughs> were there um were there any scenes that you weren't a fan of? Honestly, I can't think of anything. I, I loved uh, the scene where another one that was really funny that stood out to me was when um, 
they were trying to set up the microphone so that they could hear her and they had uh-huh. to keep like they're like put it in the bush and the director had to keep coming out and he's like you have to speak into the microphone it's in the bush and it's sort of <laughs> frustrating because i'm like dude like she can't help this like it's not her like she has to still act too uh, you're all fighting the technology, but you know, then he was like, okay, we're going to put it in the flowers in her dress. And then when she turned her head, they couldn't hear it. So then they put it uh, right on her chest and then you could hear her heartbeat. And then <laughs> the, the head of the studio comes in and he's like, this cord is in a dangerous spot, yanks it and yanks her right out of the chair. <laughs> yeah. uh, a good, you know, like I said, sort of a good bit of slapstick and there's just so much physical comedy in this too. Uh, that yeah. one, that scene really stuck out to me as funny. Um, I love the scene um, when they're doing the initial premiere of the Dueling Cavalier um, and the dubbing gets off track. And uh-huh. it's the scene of her. She's like being uh, the villain has captured her in the movie. And he's she's saying no, no, no. And he's saying yes, yes, yes. But the dubbing gets off. So it's switched. And I mean, <laughs> it's just hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, that that premiere where they're they're showing it for the first time reminded me a lot of the scene in The Disaster Artist where Tommy um, Wiseau is showing the room for the first time mm-hmm. and they go in and, like you know, peep, like it starts off and at first everybody's sort of enjoying it and then they're all laughing and Tommy's like, oh shit, like this isn't the reaction I wanted. But mm-hmm. in that movie, you know, he, he just ran with it where in this they they turn it around and that's where they get the idea like this is a disaster. What can we do? Let's turn it into a musical. And, you know, it works out. Um, and it's sort of like you said, a movie in the movie, the the magic of going in and overdubbing the voice um, at the time. I, I mean, they do that all the time now with ADR. You know, if they miss something, they go back and re-record it. It's really simple now. But back then it was probably a way harder thing to do. It was, it was a huge deal to go and try to figure out. I mean, obviously in the movie, they talk about how this is like, this has never been done and we're just now getting into talkie. So they're sort of learning on the fly how to do this. Right. Which is interesting. Um, so many of the first talkies were musicals because, you know, as far as what, set of skills those actors had back then you know they can sing and dance like nobody's business like that was just so ingrained in the culture back then everyone was taught you know the classic skills and so you know well (laughs) we don't know what to say so we'll just sing and dance a bunch and slap it on the screen and it just took off yeah and and it's just like such a cool time in history for you know going from the silence to the talkies uh i i my silent film like knowledge and history is like next to none i i know a very yeah. like maybe nosferatu a lot of the horror stuff that you know played um mm-hmm. cabinet of dr caligari and stuff but i don't think i've really outside of that scene like any uh, silent features, any of that stuff. Like my, my film knowledge is a blank slate when it comes to that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm not super knowledgeable either. Um, but yeah, it's just really interesting to see. It make it makes you want to go back and hunt for that kind of stuff and, and, ex- and experience more of that sort of thing. Yeah. It makes me, uh, just sort of want to, 
like go back and watch more classic movies like mm-hmm. you know because it's like i miss this and this is fantastic and now <laughs> i know that i'm missing a lot of other great stuff and this is probably like set the the bar really high because i'll probably go back and there's a lot of duds too um <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a pretty high bar to, to start with. <laughs> yeah, um, I was reading. Let's see. There's an, I have a couple other little uh, factoids that I thought were funny. This one especially filming of the crazy veil section of the Broadway ballet had to be stopped for several hours after it was discovered that um, Sid Charisse's pubic hair was visible through her costume. <laughs> Uh, when the problem was finally fixed, the film's costume designer, Walter Plunkett, apparently said, it's okay, guys, we finally got Sid's crotch licked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the I was reading that, like, the costume budget on this was... Und, like a huge like 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 a third of the movie or something was on costumes yeah well and back to what i was asking you if there was any scene that you weren't a huge fan of i actually have one that i'm not a huge fan of and it has to do with the costumes what is the, it uh, the beautiful girl sketch thing okay the guy in the the like the pastel purple jacket singing about all the ladies in these fancy outfits i mean it's fine like i don't dislike it but if i had to choose a scene to take out it would be that one and i bet almost guarantee that like at least a quarter of the costume budget was for just the outfits in that scene yeah i mean the maybe just because the performances and overall physicality of the movie i never really noticed it but like it did like the costume obviously there's some beautiful uh costumes in the movie but um like the number where we first see her and she's at like the the party dancing and all the girls have those pink outfits on they're doing the number mm-hmm. um that you know stood out to me and obviously the scene that i just talked about where they're trying to record her voice and they keep trying to hide the microphone um her dress and headpiece and the flowers and stuff and that obviously yeah. very beautiful but um it, especially the the guy stuff, you know, was pretty standard fare. I imagine most of it was the the women's uh, costumes. But then again, that purple suit you're just talking about was probably not cheap either. <laughs> yeah, well, and then you also have um, all of the backstage aspects. You know, there's several scenes where you kind of walk along the back lot there where they have like 10 different movies being filmed and they had to have costuming for all of those movies. You can get a little a a brief view of some brown face, which is not great. But, you know, (laughs) you just ignore it and move on. It's very brief. (laughs) Part part of the times. Yeah. Unfortunately. Uh, Yeah. But uh, so there were a lot of fairly elaborate costumes for that. I mean, there were like some tribal outfits and things like that. And I mean, so I can see where where they would have spent the money, but I, I almost guarantee at least a quarter of the budget had to be on those really elaborate um, outfits for that scene, which that scene, I honestly think, was put in there to showcase the costume designer and to kind of highlight the uh, the clothing of the era. 
it had, uh, you know, there was a little bit of a plot point, you know, like, hey, they found Kathy. She's dancing with this guy. Yeah. But, you know, other than that, it's kind of just gratuitous. Yeah. A little eye candy for us to uh, to wow the audience. Yeah. 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 The, the Broadway ballet sequence took a month to rehearse, two weeks to shoot and cost six hundred thousand dollars, almost a fifth of the overall budget. Yeah. Um, and it's like the Broadway melody, like that final song of that, um, Broadway melody was actually like one of the first MGM talkies. And that song actually came from that as well. So that's kind of cool that that loops into there. Like (laughs) that's like just a little tidbit of history just thrown in. Like they, they really tried to stay true to the history of everything, which just makes it even better. Yeah, that's really cool. Like I had, you know, no idea until I read the next day that, you know, they had this was based on. I mean, obviously, I knew that there was some history in the transition from silent to talkies. um, But it's interesting that how historically accurate they made this movie. And, you know, a lot of that stuff is actually really happened, which is really cool. Yeah, which I. um along with Gene Kelly being such a meticulous control freak. <laughs> I think I'd, I'd heard a lot about how he was very meticulous about the historical aspects. And he actually, they got a lot of input from people on set, like people who had lived through the era and, you know, even like places on location, like they would just give history and some of that would kind of seep into the movie. And that's just, that's awesome. Oh yeah, that is really cool. That's that's cool to know. Um, the last little bit I had as far as history of this uh, behind the scenes stuff. Very early on in pre production stage, Judy Garland, June Allison, and Ann Miller were considered for the role of Kathy Selden, but all were considered too old. Jane <laughs> Powell and Leslie Karen were also briefly considered before Debbie Reynolds, then a newcomer, was cast. And I'm sure there's probably a lot of um, you know, what ifs or um, alternate casting out there. This is the only one that I found interesting just because, you know, Judy Garland, that name always stands out uh, as someone who was huge in history at that time and filming, but it's interesting that she was considered too old. Well, and part of me also wonders if they would maybe be concerned with her upstaging. Oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I think it would be it would be a completely different dynamic. Not that I don't love Judy Garland in these classic films, but it would be completely different movie if if it wasn't Debbie Reynolds. Yeah, it would probably be a Judy Garland movie rather than a Gene Kelly movie. And Gene would not have Gene would not have that. Could you I bet she would punch him out if he tried to (laughs) say something to her. She was a hard ass. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that that would have been it would have made the set even more of a nightmare than it already apparently was. So it probably wouldn't have turned out nearly as well. Yeah, Donald probably would have been breaking up fights every day. Those two would have gone at each other. Yeah, it would have been bad. And she I mean, not to make this a a Judy Garland podcast, but, uh, you know, (laughs) I, I, I saw the movie Judy and I know a little bit about her history. And, you know, I don't know at that point if she was at the at the stage in her life where she was having a lot of um, issues with her alcoholism and uh, that kind of stuff. But, you know, she was notoriously hard to work with too. So, you know, yeah. I'm 
I can see. I'm glad that that didn't happen. We might not even have a movie if that she would have been cast. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't think it would be anywhere. I mean, as great of a, a performer as she was, it wouldn't be anywhere near the caliber of the movie we got. No, and it's it's just uh, just like I'm a sap for the old love stories and Debbie Reynolds. Uh, you know, she's just gorgeous in this movie and the, her performance is fantastic. I love when they cast a young upcoming uh, nobody really at the time into a movie and it makes them. And it's like, you know, it's just, it's, it's a Hollywood story in itself in real life that she was put into this role and she had no dance experience and every, she had everything going against her and they made this fantastic movie that's uh, stood the test of time. Well, and I think that it's really genius casting because I've, I've watched some interviews that Debbie had previously done and, as much of a hard ass as Jean was, you know, she was just completely infatuated with him. I mean, he was like an idol. So, you know, I think that her falling, falling for Don Lockwood kind of, it wouldn't have been quite as magical if she just wasn't so completely starstruck, like in real life. Yeah. Like she sold it. Like she didn't yeah. really, she didn't really have to act. She probably was. Yeah. Really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, enamored with him. And that's, that's really cool. Their chemistry is fantastic in this too. And that's what sells the movie, you know? Uh, yeah. Like I said, I'm just sort of a sap for that old uh, love story where the, the girl next door, I guess you would say, or the girl that, you know, was just trying to make a name for it goes big and it's a happy ending and everybody's back in love except for, you know, uh, Lena, obviously, you know, uh, I guess she sort of, but she got what she deserved. I, I would guess you would say. Yeah. I mean, you feel bad for her to a point if you think about it, cause she's done, you know, her career's over. Right. She's one of those silent film stars that, that didn't make it. And I mean, she didn't have to be such a dick about it while she was on her way out, but you know, you do feel <laughs> yeah. bad to a point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, overall, like, did you have anything else that you, like any other standout scenes that you really loved? Um, Oh, all of them. What, what's your favorite, uh, musical number? I probably make them laugh just because of the physicality of it. Yeah. It's, it's iconic. But I, like I said, I was just in awe of the, I mean, I grew up like, watching three stooges all the time and i and that's a weird comparison but the physicality <laughs> really. the, the physicality of the three stooges always as a kid just fascinated me because i'm like these guys are really you know I, i've read so how many injuries those guys have broken bones and stitches and all the stuff that they've gone through to just make this stupid stupid brainless show that i loved as a kid um and it's just, oh man, like watching this about sort of brought me back to that of like, it's, it's so simple in a way, but it's also just so impressive. Um, and so that one stood out to me, but all of them were just really cool. Like we just don't get that anymore. No. Yep. Just a hit one hit after another. I think my favorites, I really love good morning. Good morning. That's like probably my favorite. I don't know. Make him laugh has always been a favorite too. Um, I think Donald Donald O'Connor is the the reason why I always kind of 
was infatuated by funny guys <laughs> as I became older. Uh, yeah. None of them were ever as funny as him, but you know. Yeah, he, there was a lot of, he stole a lot of the scenes he was in. Um, you know, he was, it, it's interesting because he was sort of considered, you know, just the background guy uh, in this story where, you know, everybody was after uh, Don and, you know, all the women loved him. And so uh, Cosmo could just sort of stand off to the side and let it happen. He And he's, he did it. He enjoyed that role where he sort of, he, he like the time when, where we meet uh, Kathy, when, you know, he jumps in the car is, is a funny scene because uh, Cosmo is like, Hey guys, look, it's Don Lockwood. And he's like, you know, help, help. And he's just sort of like staying off the side laughing. Like, you know, this is, this is part of, you know, your, your gift and your curse. Like you have to <laughs> put up with this and he's, he is very funny in this and he plays it perfectly. Oh, so sarcastic and yeah. it's just spot on. Yeah. I love that scene. Cause uh, Gene Kelly is like, you're crazy. Call me a cab. And he's just like, okay, you're a cab. Oh yes. <laughs> yes. I told down that line. Cause it, it cracked me up. That's something yeah. I would say. And it's like, you dick, but that's yeah. so funny. <laughs> yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. He's a really great uh, comedy relief in this. He's just very good. Um, what else have has uh, Donald O'Connor been in? Do you know, wow. like... Millions of things, I'm sure. I haven't I, seen too terribly many, surprisingly, but... Because I, I obviously recognize Gene Kelly. He's in, you know, so many big movies, but um, I didn't recognize Donald O'Connor, and he sort of blew me away. Like, I'm like, well, I'm sure this guy's in the stuff I've seen, but... Um, this was like, you know, Stan, he stood out in this movie to me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he steals the show. Like every scene, he's stealing it. He's just, right. he's probably my favorite as much as I, I loved Gene Kelly's performance. Uh, they're all good. The whole ensemble is just so good in this. Even this little side characters like uh, RF, them, the head of the studio, who's clearly supposed to be, uh, what's his face from MGM? Yeah, I, I know who you're talking about. I can't think of the name, but uh, yeah, he's pretty funny in this too. Like when they go to him and, you know, they're, they're like, let's make this, we, we want to make it a musical and we're going to overdub the voices. Like he somehow gets dragged into these things and agrees to them surprisingly, um, mm -hmm. you know, but he knew he had a disaster on his hands uh, with the movie. And it's like, okay, this is our, you know, with Dueling Cavalier, he's like, this is a disaster. We got to do something. But it was just usually in films we see like studio heads as um, hard asses and sort of uh, jerks that don't work with actors. So it was sort of refreshing. Yeah. He was, you know, a nice guy. Like he actually yeah. would listen to his actors and it was cool. Yeah. He was part of the team. I had seen that Gene Kelly. I think I read this. I don't have it in my notes, but that he actually used this as like a way out of his, um contract i don't remember if it was with mgm um, yeah i'd seen that too i think because he was such an asshole <laughs> yeah yeah that they just were like get They're out like, of here all right you made us enough money go away <laughs> well and this is like he had just come up off of doing um an american in paris which is another fantastic movie musical like and that one won tons of awards i think that one won several oscars and so he had just come off of doing that um to going on to direct and star in this it's just insane he just cranked him out like just insane i don't even know <laughs> yeah back then you know it was like a handful of actors and 
you know, their name alone was on the, the poster. And that was like, that's all you needed. You know, it was, mm-hmm. it was like printing money for some of these actors obviously we have some of those today like the rock can pretty much do that now he's like the, <laughs> mo- the modern gene kelly i guess you could say but uh it's just... i don't think he's quite as light on his feet but no no i don't i don't see him being able to pull off this stuff at all uh some of these like uh actors you know it's just like especially uh gene kelly just like that classic handsome hollywood face and the always perfect hair and you know it's just sort of brings you back to that era is really cool yeah like his his little like his smile just kills me like his dimples and his little smirk and he just uh-huh. he just always has that look on his face like while well, he's dancing it's just mm-hmm. it's it blows my mind every time i'm just like how can this it seems like you're not even putting any effort in. Are you sweating at all? Like this is like the most grueling dancing I've seen. <laughs> How are you not like dying? It's just incredible. Yeah, it's it's the like the the way of they sell it. Like you said, they're like smiling and make it look effortless is what makes it so perfect. Like they're not yeah. grimacing. They're not. It doesn't look like they're even trying. And I'm sure, like like I've we've talked about this whole time. Uh, you know that took a lot of effort and it took a lot of different uh takes and stuff but it is just truly impressive for for me you know just to see the physicality of this movie in general just so cool yeah for sure have you watched a lot of musicals from this era not really at all um i've watched later musicals like i grew up with an older sister and so we watched grease all the time that was probably (laughs) like my intro to musicals was probably that and you probably wouldn't consider this a musical but my mom watched purple rain a lot so that's sort of (laughs) like a musical so uh, right you know my my uh history of musicals isn't that great but like nikki this this era of um tv more so she grew up with an older dad and they watched like nick at night and stuff so sure uh you know that she's introduced me to a lot of um bob hope and new heart and that kind of stuff that's really sure. cool not not necessarily the same era but um older stuff and i just i need to go back and view more of this and this has got me like motivated to do it you know yeah There's just, I mean, all of those things that you said are great, but there's just something about like this time in Hollywood, especially like musicals, you know, a lot of them just seem like they're the same old, same old regurgitating, but they're still entertaining as hell. And just the level of talent in these people is just remarkable. Well, like, what do you recommend? Like, if I enjoyed this, what should I go to? Oh my gosh. Um, well, if you want like more Gene Kelly, like summer stock is awesome. Um, An American in Paris is awesome. Um, oh my goodness. I, I love, uh, white Christmas, not quite as, uh, physical necessarily. Cause there weren't as many good dancers in that movie, but that's like one of my all time favorites as well. Um, there's just so many. And so many of them are like the same thing over and over again, but it never gets old. Well, yeah, we're we're recording this uh, right before Thanksgiving. So White Christmas is a good recommendation uh, for this time of the year. I've never seen it. Um, We've played it at the Capitol. I usually when I am working a projector, I don't really get to watch the movie. So um, 
I would love to, you know, like some afternoon just take a stack because we have most of these movies like on Blu-ray at the Capitol because we played we've played a lot of classics and sure. it'd just be sort of cool to reserve a like a day or a weekend to just go down and sit in a Ugh. old theater like that and watch them on the big screen That'd and be exp- awesome. experience them like they were, you know. Yeah. Yeah. White Christmas for sure. Watch this holiday season. That's one of my favorites. I have I watched I try to watch that every every year around this time of year. Yeah, that's one I think they do show on like AMC every year. But oh, I, yeah. <laughs> I want to like I don't want to like watch it on TV. I want to sit down and actually watch it without commercials or right. You yeah. know, and enjoy it like I did this. Um, I watched it's, it's sort of cool. Like I watched this in like 1080, like a nice Blu-ray copy and singing in the rain. And it's just like super. It's just th- that old time film. Like it has that film look and the colors mm-hmm. are vibrant and the, you know, bright yellow raincoats and the the red umbrellas and it's just like you said the costumes really pop out it's just a cool well yeah and like the set design of the the ballet that they do that's all like oh man that's just it looks remarkable i mean and it looks like you know like a stage production as it is but it's just the set design for that stuff is just awesome yeah like uh the old marquees and old Hollywood and, you know, all that stuff is really cool too. And, uh, yeah, the, that big number is really cool. All the costumes and stuff, just something. Yeah. Like I said, a million times, we just, we don't have it anymore. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I will sort of want to like talk to my, my dad or my, like more so probably my dad. Cause he was born in 50. Like, you know, what was, you know, he he would have been too young for this to see it in theaters, but it obviously was a big cultural thing probably when he was a kid. Like, I wonder what he would think, like what he thought of this. Like, I try to talk to him about like, you know, stuff. I think, you know, I love the Beach Boys. I'm like, what did you think of them when you were a kid? And he's just <laughs> sort of like, oh, you know, it wasn't my thing. And I'm like, man, like how cool, how cool would it be to like experience these types of movies? Like, you know, I'm, I'm sure after this had its initial run. It played back in theaters when he was younger and, you know, just to be alive around that time. Just so cool. Yeah. I mean, my, I really loved sharing this with my grandmother. She was born in 1919. So she lived through the transition. And so she knew what that was like. I mean, she wasn't in Hollywood obviously, but um, we just always had a really good time watching that. And, I, I kind of regret not watching something like this with her later on when I, when, you know, was not an infant. Yeah. <laughs> so to really chat about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But still cool to to think about that, like how how she had lived through the, all of those eras. Yeah, I always think about that, too. Like my boss has told me stories about um when he saw the original omen at the theater here in town, mm-hmm. like when it was originally released and him and his friends were all super high and they watched the omen <laughs> and, and they left the theater and it was storming out and like, they were freaked oh, out. No. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, we, we, I don't get cool theater experiences like that anymore. Like, you know, that yeah. it, not that the omen has anything to do with singing in the rain, but it's like, you know, back then, movies were events and you couldn't just wait a a few months and get them on, you know, high definition Blu-ray and watch them all you wanted at home. It was something else. And yeah, uh, just, and and to think that the movie itself was 
harkening back to another era of film before it is just really cool. It is, it, um, you know, and I, I don't think that was really done much before this movie. I think this was kind of brown groundbreaking in that way, kind of um, the meta ness of it, I guess. Uh, I'm sure that there are a bit other films from around that time too, but it seems like it just kind of led the way. Well, yeah, probably not many because just um, history in general, like there before, you know, there wasn't anything before silent film. So, uh, and you know, 1950, they, and they were talking about a movie that it was only 30 years. They only went back 30 years, you know, to 1920. Yeah. Uh, it, to us, it seems like a lifetime ago, but at the time it wasn't, it, it's, it'd be like, us you know doing a movie like about the 90s or something else or exactly yeah because i mean there were people on you know people making the movie who had lived through that there it wasn't yeah it wasn't all that long ago for them they all clearly remembered it yeah it's sort of trippy to think about uh because i i is another thing i always think about it's like when I watched, uh, when I was a kid, I'd watched a Christmas story and I honestly, as a kid thought it was just made in that time. Like I didn't realize it was, you know, a movie that was, um, sort of encapsulating the old, uh, it was made in what I think the seventies or eighties. And it was mm-hmm. like encapsulating a, a time in the fifties. I thought it was actually just made at that time. Right. Right. Because they did such a good job. Um, and this is another one I thought they really captured that era and it's just so cool. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They did a really good job of even imitating like the old backlots and everything. Like they were really meticulous with trying to make everything look just so. Yeah. I'm, I'm sad. I'll never, you know, get to like go see those old backlots and even yeah. like, even like the, they tore down the original um, psycho house at universal studios. And, you know, oh. they used to have all that cool history back then. They kept a lot of those, that, that stuff on the lot so you could go see it. And obviously that stuff's either burned down or tore down. And yeah, you know, luckily we have all this stuff on film for us to go back and, you know, watch it and relive it. And we have podcasts that we can sit and gush <laughs> over it and enjoy it for, for, you know, ages and our kids and grandkids and everybody can enjoy these movies for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Yeah. This is one that, that will forever be timeless. I don't think even if we have flying cars down the road, this one's still, <laughs> still going to be um, highly entertaining for anybody. Yes, absolutely. And like I said, uh, I am so glad you picked this one. It, it's obvious you have a huge love for it and your um, passion for it comes through. And I'm just, you know, glad to have you as a guest on here to talk about it. So cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I'm really glad that you liked it. I, I'm excited to expose more people to it. Hopefully other people will listen to this and go off and rent it um, and, and watch it and understand the, the magic Yes. And uh, people will be surprised to hear, you know, that I am not just a horror movie <laughs> guy. Um, I I love everything. And this is. Well, know. me too. I mean, I, I like this. I mean, we, you know, met each other on a horror podcast. So. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, th- and this might be my favorite movie, but it's not necessarily the same thing that I watch all the time. But I'm glad to expose other people. Yes, if you're listening to this and you're on the fence, 
go find it it's not streaming anywhere you can rent it on uh amazon prime and hd it's only a couple bucks or um you know go go rent it it's probably at your library you might be able to find it on canopy through your library it's um it's not hard to find it's it's a very you know it's the movie man it's like the musical of all time so or just freaking buy it because you're gonna love it and watch it over and over again anyway yeah i'll I'll probably (laughs) do they have like a really nice tricked out blu-ray of this i'm sure you know i'm not sure i've got a nice like uh special edition dvd but i haven't upgraded it to blu-ray because i don't think i've really seen a nice one yet but you would think the criterion collection would get on this one like yeah there There might be. be one and i'm just behind so i'll have to check it out and see if i can find something but like the only the only like true classic movie I think I grew up watching, my mom watched um It's a Wonderful Life all the time. Oh yeah. It's another and, good one. Yeah, she and obviously not a musical, but um that one was one that we watched like she watched every Christmas and it was like, All right, mom's in the living room, she has the TV for tonight and she's gonna watch it and we you know, as a kid I was like, Oh, that boring, stupid black and white movie. <laughs> And as an adult, like I, I watched it probably five or six years ago and actually sat down and like it made me cry. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry, mom. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't appreciate it at the time, but man, it's so nice now. So like I bought it for her on Blu-ray so she could have it. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I'm like, we should watch this sometime. And it's just, you know, it, it, my as I get older, I guess my appreciation for this type of stuff uh, is much bigger. Like I just recognize how incredibly talented these people were and how big of a part of film history this was definitely all right well like i said thanks so much for uh being on here and having me watch this one um i would love to have you back sometime we don't have to talk about another classical musical but i would love to if you you know if you have other favorites uh what would you say like this is probably your favorite film what what would you say is in your like top five in general just just curious Oh, man. Um, well, this um, Evil Dead 2 is probably runner up <laughs> a little bit different, but... but a little bit different, but it is like a slapstick physical. Yeah, it's true. There are definitely connections between these two. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. Um... I put you on the spot. You did. <laughs> I always just like, well, those two, I know those two for sure. I'm so terrible at picking my favorite movies. The change um, I get every day for me, so. I mean, I guess uh, White Christmas is probably another one. Not nearly as good as Singing in the Rain, but it's one of those that um, I always go back to. Um, Haunted Honeymoon, that's another. See, I saw that like on your letterboxed. And that's another one where I've I've really wanted to watch that. And I saw that and I'm like, oh, if she likes, you know, singing in the rain is awesome. I want to watch that, too. Like, that looks really good. And yeah, it's it's good. It doesn't hold up as well as this one for me, but I still love it because it has a lot of uh, nostalgic ties. But it's still great. I mean, directed by Gene Wilder, starring Gene Wilder and a slew of other amazing actors. So it's great. Um. Was that five? No, <laughs> no, you don't have to give me five. Top uh, four. That was my top yeah. four. <laughs> are there are there any like classics from this era or um, around there that you haven't seen? Like that you've that are on oh, your tons. What's on your list of like uh, admit admit to the audience like some of the classics that you haven't seen that you should probably watch? Oh my gosh! Is there any uh, embarrassing ones on there? 
Oh, I'm yeah, I, I know there are. There's some from like every era era that I've not seen, but um oh from this one, hmm. Or or any era. Just like what are some some movies that you have not seen? Like what would be something that is a first time for you that you should probably get to? I'm just I'm just um, getting you to confess. I've never actually seen uh Scarface. Okay. That's that's a pretty big one. Um oh god. Um one for me that people are always uh taken back by is the Lord of the Rings trilogy for me. What? I, I own a Blu-ray set of them. Uh <laughs> my brother, when he came back from college one year, he had like the DVD set and he's like you got to watch these. These are groundbreaking. Um, we started watching the first one. I fell asleep like 15 minutes in the next morning. I try to watch them. I fell asleep back into the first one again. I've never <laughs> been able to stay awake to the first one. And it's, it's nothing personal. Like I just, I don't know what it is. I think I mean, if I can, I, I get that. Like what I had more of the stamina to watch those movies when I was younger. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I would probably just pass out now. I yeah. haven't watched them in a long time. <laughs> like I, I even like I found the Blu-ray set of the standard theatrical editions for like five bucks for all three of them. I was like, I'm if I buy this, I'm going to feel obligated that I have to get through them at some point. But um, every time I tell people they have the same reaction you had, they're like, what? And uh, <laughs> there's I, I've never seen Rosemary's Baby. Um, that was one that everybody mm-hmm. always freaks out about. Um, I think that one's a little overrated, but. Well, see, I think Scarface is a little overrated myself. Okay. Uh, ha- it has all the ingredients. It has like a great lead performance and a great writer director. But I think um, it got sort of overhyped by white dudes who want to think they're hard. Um, sure. For the longest time. And just maybe it's the merchandising that killed it for me. Uh, but I just there, there's definitely some cool stuff in it. But it, there's a lot of it's just not a well-made film at times i don't think there's a lot of hmm. uh anyways that's this isn't even a scarface We're, we somehow got in a scarface <laughs> from singing in the rain um i've never seen wally that's kind of a more recent one but uh i'm trying no I'd, i've never well no i don't think i've seen that either huh. there's a lot of uh disney stuff like classics i haven't seen there's there's people when they ask my opinion or say you know I, i've had a situation where um someone asked my opinion on something and I say, you know, I don't know what I think, but you know, don't take my word for it. And they're like, you're the movie guy. I'm like, Oh, you'd be surprised by what I haven't seen. Don't take, don't call me the movie guy. Cause I'm seeing new stuff all the time. <laughs> well, and I really went through a stint like several years ago where I was trying to go back. Like I looked up old, like AFI top 100 lists and I was kind of trying to, to go through and I know I didn't get through as much as I wanted to. So there's still just tons and tons, but I would definitely recommend just doing that. I mean, singing in the rain is top 10 on like every list ever. Um, yeah, I, I had read that. I, I had sort of a list of all the lists it was on. I think, like I said, it on pretty much every list, it was the top rated musical by far. Um, yeah. there was like no, no even contender like it just always gets as far as musicals gets the top and i think it on afis it was in like the top five maybe yeah i think it's yeah four or five usually um 
so that speaks to how great it is as well but yeah the fact that yeah it's a musical and it still made it up there is pretty impressive um for sure we we had a series at the Capitol for a while called like American classic uh, film series. It was sponsored by like the hosp- local hospital. And we were basically picking movies off that list. And it was so crazy to like, I was going through that list and it's just amazing. The variety, like you said, you have singing in the rain and then there's like Goodfellas, And then, mm-hmm. you know, just some of the stuff on there, you wouldn't expect to be on there. It's really good, but it's amazing. You know, the top 100 films considered the best. Well, it's interesting to like look at, you know, they usually make a new one of those like every five or 10 years. So it's interesting to see a list from like 40 years ago, like Mm -hmm. what was what were the top movies? And then, you know, list now like Toy Story is on there and things like that. Like and that seems so weird that those are like classic films being put on there. But yeah, like old. <laughs> yeah, it's like nothing from our time, nothing from our lifetime deserves to be on that list. Come on. Yeah. But yeah, I think I remember I do remember Toy Story being on there because we played that for like our family movie thing. And I was like, well, technically, mm-hmm. this falls under the American classics, too. But people yeah. don't like when we're doing a classic movie series, people would be taken back if we're like classic American series. Come see Toy Story. Like what? <laughs> but it's it's considered. Well, and then there's like, uh, Al- like Alfred Hitchcock has like five movies in the top 20. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Vertigo and Psycho are always way high up there. Absolutely. Yeah, we have another one, I guess I haven't, I don't think I've ever seen front to back in its entirety is uh, Gone with the Wind. Eh. I know I know that we have like we have this really cool like giant poster at the Capitol from that movie and we've played it before. I just the motivation for that one is like at zero because I know it's really long and everybody sort of says the same thing you do. They're like, eh. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it was a feat of filmmaking at the time, but you know, kind of boring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean this if there's you know i think uh joe bob has said it before like you know the only the, the biggest crime a movie can commit is being boring and um singing in the rain is not boring that's what you no. know i said i i put my phone down and i didn't even like feel tempted to ever check it there was never a moment where i wasn't entertained so that speaks volumes for a movie that came out in night you know 1952 so cool yeah that it can still hold attention yeah yeah i think you know you watching it as a kid is cool just because you know as a kid our attention spans are like you know nowhere like we just don't even have them so you really have to do something to capture uh, a kid's attention and i mean i was pretty easily amused as a child but (laughs) (laughs) yeah but um yeah no i was glued to the screen and i don't know if my little brother necessarily was but (laughs) yeah you know you just kind of fall in love with that old hollywood I, I was I was hooked. And I think it actually this movie probably really made me love movies more in general, I think, at a young age, just kind of made me want to seek out more things. So I owe a lot to this movie. Well, that's awesome. I'm I'm glad that, like I said, you picked this one. I'm glad that I got you on to talk about it. It's good to catch up with you. It's been a while since we actually talked, not through yeah. the social media, <laughs> just to actually talk. Um since you you moved far away from me all the way up to northern iowa yeah 
up here where it's freaking freezing cold <laughs> <laughs> yeah have you guys been getting snow and stuff up there already uh not too bad yet but we'll That's see good. yeah <laughs> rock on for uh you know global warming thanks thanks to science for <laughs> you know keeping it so i can just wear like a t-shirt and on thanksgiving but um <laughs> That's a whole different podcast, too. Uh, but thanks so much for, for jumping on. Like I said, it's so good to hear from you. And um, if you're listening to this and you've never seen Singing in the Rain, uh, go seek it out. Go watch it. It's fantastic. Uh, and don't feel like you're too cool or too manly to watch a musical. It's it's fine to be happy sometimes to watch some more, a movie where people aren't dying. Um, not everything has to be sad and dark it's it's okay to laugh and enjoy simple things so please uh watch singing in the rain agreed all right regret it (laughs) yeah all right well thanks again for listening to first time podcast and we'll see you next week thank you again for listening to the first time podcast if you haven't already please follow us on instagram twitter and give us a like on facebook follow or subscribe to the first time podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and if you like what you hear Leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. A huge thank you goes out to Scott Schreiner of Weezer for our intro and outro music. Last but not least, do us a favor and share this podcast with someone else who might enjoy it. We appreciate your support. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening.